you know, this message ties into where we, uh, what we talked about last week. And uh, as I think back upon it, you know, we, we covered a lot last week. Uh, it might have been more than some of us could, uh, could, could take in. I know it's a, I know it's a lot. Um, and that's part of my, my nature, just being a geek. When I start to get into that text, I really start to you know, dig into it. And sometimes I forget that uh, what takes me hours to study, I can't communicate in a half an hour's worth of time. Um, but today, uh, there's really one point that I want to really uh, kind of drive home and, uh, as, we, as we go through this text. You know, and that's the, the big idea for today is that Jesus' heart for us is unchanging. And that, that's something that, that's a truth that, that's a truth that we know uh, here, but a lot of times we don't believe it, we don't live it up from our heart. You know, we, uh, we, tend, to, uh, we tend to let our, our flesh take over and our desires take over, but, but there's that unchanging truth that, that really gives us the power to, uh, uh, to live a life that, that glorifies God. Uh, you know, last week, you know, our big idea was that, uh, that God's desire is to lovingly reveal himself, and he does that through Jesus Christ. And, and that is still a foundational truth that we really need to, uh, to grab a hold of in this text. Um, let's just go ahead and read this whole text again, and we'll kinda, I'll break down, kinda, you know, just touch on what we talked about last week, and then get into these uh, last couple of verses here. Uh, but we're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. And uh, just because it's my habit, before we read, I want to pray. Father, we, we thank you that, uh, uh, that we can be here together and that we can uh, be inspired by your word. Lord, I pray that, that as we dig into your word, as we read it, as we uh, prepare to take in what you're communicating to us, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts uh, to receive that, that, uh, that it would be more than just words that uh, get into our brain, but it would be truths that penetrate to our heart. And uh, Penetrate to our heart for your glory, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Matthew 11, verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So like I said, last week, you know, the big truth was that God's desire is to reveal himself, and he does this through Jesus Christ. But he does it for us when we come with that heart of humility, with that heart of dependence upon him. And, you know, that revealing that's that gift of salvation and and he desires to give that to us but we come with the right heart we come with humility and the ultimate thing in that gift is that brings us into relationship with him and, and i used the analogy last week it's not just this factual knowing but it's the intimate the relational knowledge you know like, like i used the analogy last week i might know jake and Teresa, i know where they live and i know all these facts about them but i experience life with my wife. I know her on this deeper, more intimate level to where we know what each other are thinking. We know what each other are feeling. We know their likes and their dislikes. We know more than just this factual knowledge, but we know this intimate relational knowledge. That's what God's desire is for us. And he reveals that to us uh, through Jesus Christ and through his word, which, I, which is why I get geeked up about like last week about all the different facts and all the different things that we can pull out of these. 
Um, the last week we even got into uh, you know how the Holy Spirit works in that, and we could go on and on about how you know how the Triune God relates with us and everything. And there was a lot of verses, and I was thinking about all those, and I started to think, if I have to explain all that, is my faith a childlike faith? If I have to know all that? And the fact is, no. When we're children, and we're uh, coming from that heart of, you know, just loving our parents, and our parents loving us, we don't have to know everything that our dad does to provide for us. We just know that he loves us. And that's the same idea here. I don't have to know all the ins and outs of the, the Trinity and how they come together to love me, but I know that, that the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have all gone to extraordinary means to show that love for me. And that changes everything. That changes how we read Scripture. That changes how we do our life. And that love is expressed, as we're going to see here in Jesus Christ. So we come to these last two verses. Last week we got through 25 through 27. This week, I want to really focus in on Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Now, these are the, the coffee cup verses that we all see, right? You know, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know about you guys, but I know when I uh, came to a saving knowledge of Jesus, that's where I was at. I was heavy laden. I was burdened. I was broken. I couldn't carry the load on my own. And then a, a wise woman said, give it to God. You know, go to Jesus. And that's what started that. That's what happened to me. And that's, I'm sure, probably the case for a lot of us. You know, a lot of people online that are saved. That's, that's where we start. We're that heavy laden and burdened. But what do our actions say after we come to that saving knowledge? How do we start acting then? This is something that, you know, why I think this message is hit me so hard is because this is something that I wrestle with. This is something that I deal with as much as I think anybody else does. Is that we, we understand that this saving work of Jesus to be a supernatural act that's done on our behalf. But then once we're saved, we start marching in on our own power. We start thinking that we can do it all on our own. You know, as I was reading this text and you know last week we were in uh, Luke chapter uh, 10 as well uh, and these same re words that Jesus spoke are recorded there <clears throat> with the exception of verses 28 through 30 and I started questioning why why is that why does why does the Holy Spirit see fit to have Matthew record this come to me all you who labor but not Luke so I started thinking about the books as a whole and the big difference is the audience Okay. Luke is writing to uh, an individual named Theophilus where Matthew is writing to the Jewish people. And we know that the Jewish people, what did the Jewish people have that was handed down through Moses? The law, the Ten Commandments, the law. That was their burden. That was their heavy weight that they couldn't get out from underneath. It was the law. And when we start, you know, through salvation and we live this life, uh, we come to salvation supernaturally, you know, a work that Christ does, and then we start marching our own power. We start putting ourselves back under the law. We become a law unto ourselves, but not like Paul writes in Romans. Where Paul writes about it, a law unto themselves is actually kind of a good thing, but we come a repressive law, a law that's holding us down, a law that's holding us captive. We can't get away from it. We're under that burden. 
So that's the big difference there. Matthew's writing to uh, people that are under the law. And all of us know that we're saved by grace, that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We have Ten Commandments, right? Anybody in here broken a ten, one of the Ten Commandments? Every hand should be going up. Okay. Now, I think about the burden that the, that the Jewish people had at that time. They had the Ten Commandments. Then they had another, what, 600 and some laws. And then they had the extrapolation of those laws that the religious leader was putting on them. You know, it's no wonder they were burdened and heavy laden. You know, they couldn't get away from it. Everywhere they turned, it was like, oh, my goodness, I'm going to break another law. I'm going to do this wrong. I'm going to do that wrong. I'm going to have to make a sacrifice for this. I'm going to have to repent for that. And that's just kind of the same thing that we do when we start to, uh, to go on our own power. We get discouraged with ourselves. Um, we start making up laws for ourselves, but we get discouraged. We get down on ourselves and uh, thinking, okay, I can just do a little bit more. I can do it better next time. I failed this time. God, I'm sorry, I sinned, but I'll do better next time. And I think that's where it shows up a lot is in our repeated sins. Don't get me wrong. I mean, a lot of times it's just to our circumstances. It's just suffering, and it's really of no fault of our own, but we still get discouraged, and we think that, okay, I'm just going to do better. I can do it. I'll get better. And this leads me to think about the Galatians where Paul was writing about this to, to them. Galatians 2 uh, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 says, Let me ask you this. Did you receive the spirit of works by the law or hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? That's us. I don't care who you are. That is our nature to do that. That we understand if we are a believer in Christ in here, every one of us would say, yes, I believe that we are saved by faith. And that is not of our own doing. That is a gift of God. But then we start trying to march on our own. We understand that when we came to Christ that first time, when he opened that door for that relationship to know him, that was his work that he did on our behalf. And then we start marching along on our own. We forget that it was the spirit that saved us, but now we try to earn our way. It's, you know, I think about this, we try to, we know that salvation is a gift, but then we earn our security. And when we do that, we're not realizing who Jesus is, what he's done on our behalf, what he's doing now in our place, what he is actively doing right now. We don't know his heart for us. His heart is to love us, not to see us earn anything, but to give us. We act like that. When I act like that, I put these heavy loads of performance-based relationship on myself. I forget that, you know, when he saved me, I was dirty, and I was sinful, and I was broken. And I think that somehow, because he's changed me, now he's changed. He looks at me differently now that I'm saved. When the fact of the matter is, I am saved, I'm different, but I'm still sinful. In a lot of areas, I'm still broken. In a lot of areas, I'm still hurting, insufficient. But that doesn't change who he is. We get this idea, even, even though it may just be in our head, and we wouldn't think that we're thinking it. We wouldn't. It's almost sub, subliminal, you know. It's just, just the way we react, that we have to earn our favor with our, uh, with our Savior. 
you know, I think about this, you know, we know that as we're saved, we're brought into a family. And uh, this is not my own analogy, but I think it's a great one. Think about a 10 or a 12-year-old child, okay? And uh, we all know how 10 and 12-year-old children work, but suddenly they start acting different. You know, mom and dad come home at the end of the night, and, you know, the, this child has already got their homework done. The table's set for dinner. Dishes are done. Mom and dad never said anything. It's like, wow, what happened to you? That, wait a minute. Am I talking to your kids? Your kids do this? <laughs> yeah, but that's what I'm saying. You know, if, if we start acting like this, these, our kids, they start to uh, uh, do all these things. And one day dad just says, man, I appreciate your hard work. I appreciate what you're doing. It's a great help. But why are you doing this? And the kid says, well, I just want to make sure my spot's secure in the family. <laughs> What's dad going to say? <laughs> yeah, good job, son. Yeah, and, and, you know, tongue-in-cheek, that's what we would say. But as a father, we're going to say, son, calm down. You know, you don't have to prove yourself in this family. You were born into this family. You can't work harder to be more a part of the family. You can't work less to be less a part of the family. It, what's that? Don't tell them that. Yeah, absolutely. We may, uh, you know, like I said, we're going to appreciate that hard work. And we may even reward them for that hard work. And, and, and just, you know, God may do the same for us. You know, he sees our efforts and he's going to reward those. But we don't have to work to earn our way into the family. We don't have to work to earn our security. It's there. That's already been paid for, bought for us. But it's part of our sin nature to think this way. Now, you go all the way back through Genesis and all the way, you know, what is the first thing that Adam and Eve did after they recognized their sin? They tried to cover it up. They tried to hide it. They tried to earn their way out of it. In the same way, we start to think that, you know, once we sin, uh, rather than going to God and, and just uh, this pure heart of repentance and saying, God, forgive me, we say, God, forgive me, I'll do better next time. We take that burden that he's supposed to bear and we put it all on ourselves. We think that we can do it. This is not the heart of Jesus. He says, come to me. Come to me and I will give you rest. He doesn't say, go do better. He doesn't say, go try it again. You know, and like you said, I don't, want to, I don't want to steal anything away from our resolve or our tenacity about doing certain projects and doing things and doing things well but there comes a point when we need to understand that it's him that's done the work in a lot of these areas especially you know when we're talking about fighting sin or we're talking about circumstances that we don't have control over but yet we're still going to struggle and try and put pressure on ourselves and strain ourselves when he's already done that work we we, we put this law on ourselves we burden ourselves with something we're not made to carry Nowhere in our lives is more evident than in our, our sin and suffering, but what we do can't make him love us any less. That's not his heart. Now, I want to be careful here because this is not a license to sin. We can't just say, okay, well, God's going to forgive me or Christ is going to forgive me and, and I can go on about sinning. He absolutely calls us to repent of our sin and to deal with that. But he calls with it calls us to deal with it through his love and through his strength and through his power, not our own. Uh, you guys remember when we went through Galatians and the pastor said, quit trying to be Christ and let Christ be Christ through you. 
that's exactly the same principle. We cannot defeat that on our own, but it's going through him that we can defeat this. We think that, that somehow our sin changes who he is, or our actions, our behaviors change who he is. But that's not the case. He is who he is, regardless of what we do. Now, sin does separate us from him relationally, but it doesn't diminish his love for us. We have to attack our sin, but it doesn't diminish his love. He says, come to me. In Hebrews 7.25, there's this verse that stands out to me that says, says, hey, I know you're going to sin, and I'm still here for you. It says, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to make intercession for us. If he's always living to make intercession for us, your sin is not going to surprise him. He is, on, he is there right now at the throne interceding for you because he knows that that sin is still in your life. He knows that that sin is still something that, that he is working with you to deal with. There's no sin or circumstances that's going to pull him away from that. And there's no sin or circumstance that you can have that he's not willing to deal with with you. He's there waiting for it. But we act as if I'm going to do it better next time. If I can do it better, God's going to forgive me. If I can do better in the future, if I can do better tomorrow, God's going to forgive me for the sin that I commit today. But that's not the case. It's it's if I confess my sin, that he is faithful and just to forgive me. That's what John 1.9 says. John, 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Back to the whole salvation thing. We know if we're Christians in here, we know that we couldn't make ourselves righteous in the beginning, but then we think moving forward, we can make ourselves righteous now. But it's our confession of our sins and it's his forgiveness that makes us righteous. See, we wrestle with this and our idea of Christ, the idea of Christ's heart, so what we know about Christ's heart, because we project our own finite love on an infinite God. We project everything that we are capable of and guilty of. We think that Christ is the same way. We forget who Jesus is, but this text tells us who Jesus is. It's these words that say gentle and lowly. I love this. To, to be lowly means humble, to mean approachable, accessible. I think about this in relation to the, the creator of the universe, to the one who spoke us into being, that spoke the world into creation, and he's approachable. He makes himself available to us. regardless of our circumstance, regardless of our sin that we, we know that he knows about, but it, we need to act like that. We need to come to him with these things because he is accessible. And then gentle. How many of you in here can say that you're gentle? I know some people. <laughs> we had a conversation yesterday, and I know. <laughs> I, Grant, there are a lot of people that are more gentle than others. 
But uh, if you have kids in here or if you have coworkers that tend to rub you the wrong way, what is your impulse reaction when they do something wrong for the 10,000th time? Yeah, I see somebody growling and, you know, we, we stomp our feet and we turn red and we get mad. And, and when I get angry, my wife would say that I pout and mope through the house. And she's, she's probably right. But this is not Jesus' heart for us. We think that because, you know, because we can love somebody until they hurt us, until they do something wrong, and then we start to pull that love back. We start to restrict it. We start to rein it in a little bit. Jesus is not that way. He says, come to me. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how you're feeling about yourself, what your self-image is right now. Come to me. Yes, you've sinned again. You've done that same thing that you've tried to not do for the 10,000th time, but I'm not going to fly off the handle with you. I'm not going to be exasperated. I'm not going to throw up my arms and walk away and say, again? No. He's there, ready to intercede for us. Jesus isn't trigger happy. That's, that's the word that I kept coming up with, is trigger happy. You know, I'm trigger happy sometimes. When I come home at the end of the day, and the kids have been there all day, and the dirty dishes are still piled up on the sink, and they know that's part of their responsibility, I get bent out of shape like that. Jesus is not like that. It's not his heart to, to reprimand us. Into, uh, it is his heart to discipline us, but not with a, you know, this uh, condemning attitude. It's with a heart of love, a heart of lowliness, a heart of humility, a heart of gentleness that he wants to discipline us, to bring us into that relationship that we talked about last week, that knowing relationship where Christ is, he invites us into that union that is held between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. To be in Christ is what he is bringing us into. So what does this all mean for us? This relationship that he is inviting us into and that we can see that it's the heart of Christ that's drawing us into this. What does it mean for us? Do we still have to battle sin? Absolutely. But it means that we do it rightly. We don't do it on our own power. We battle sin with a heart of true repentance. Remember that childlike faith? That heart of dependence? That's what it means to repent from sin truly, to truly repent. Is that you're going to God and you're dependent on Him to help you with that sin, to help you conquer that sin, to conquer that sin through you, in fact. Not just to help you, but to conquer it through you. We try to go on our own, and that's not true repentance. True repentance is going to God, turning away from your sin and to God. If we deal it with ourselves, if we're just saying, I'm going to do it better next time, then we're no better than the original audience that Matthew was writing to. We're just putting ourselves underneath a burden that we can't bear. We're trying to do it on our own power. Well, it's not in us to defeat it on our own. Jesus says that we're yoked. He says, come and take my yoke. Take my yoke upon me, on you, and learn from me. Most of us know what a yoke is. You know, it's, it's a, an apparatus that goes across the necks of an animal so it can pull a cart or a plow or a load of some sort or carry a burden. That's what a burden is. It's to carry a weight. And so it denotes work. 
This isn't saying that we just deal with our sin by just going to God and asking for forgiveness and walking away from it. No, there's work involved. But the idea of this yoke, most of the time a yoke was made for two animals. And I love this picture that our Savior says to us right here. He says, when this yoke is getting heavy on you, I'm here beside you. You're not going to do it perfectly, but when you stumble, we're carrying the same load. I'm here with you to carry this load. And it's just a beautiful picture that I think about. Uh, that when I'm down on myself, when I have a hard time with something, there's somebody there beside me. What are we saying? There's one in the fire with us. You know, it's that same principle. We're not meant to carry this alone. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. There's the big difference as well. We put our own yoke on us of the law, of the burden, of our own self-doubt, of our own disgruntled actions, of, that we can't measure up, that we can't do it. But Jesus says, take my yoke. And that makes a huge difference because the yoke that we put ourselves under is a yoke that we were never meant to carry. We were not built for that. But what was Jesus' yoke? Jesus' salvation, that's, a, that's, that's part of it. But his yoke was to glorify the Father. His yoke was to glorify the Father. Salvation is a result of that glorifying the Father. That's the same yoke we have. Jesus was sent to carry this yoke. And to, we learn from him. We enter into this discipleship, this knowing relationship with him. And that is how we, uh, we pick up this, his yoke, by that relationship with him. And he carried that yoke perfectly. We can't carry it perfectly. But learning from him, we learn more and more to carry it. That's why that picture of somebody in the yoke with me is so beautiful. Because he can carry it perfectly. I can't. So I'm going to stumble. I'm going to fall. I'm going to trip. He's going to be right there. He's carrying the, the bigger weight to keep me going with him. He says that this yoke will actually bring us rest. You know, we talk, think about the, the burden that, that uh, Matthew's audience was under. You know, they were constantly trying to carry this weight, to carry this burden that they couldn't carry. It's the same weight that I know I've been guilty of putting on myself. This weight that says, I'll do better next time. This weight that says, God, forgive me today. I won't do it again tomorrow. This weight that says, you're not quite good enough to do that. I was never meant to carry. You were never meant to carry that burden. But the burden to glorify God is what each and every one of us was created for. And we do that through knowing Christ, through, through enjoying that relationship with him. You know, an analogy that I, that I love to point this out, uh, how many of you guys have ever seen middle school track meets? <laughs> See, I hear some sighs and some grunts and stuff. But this is a perfect example of how we go about this, of how I go about it anyhow. Uh, you know, you see a middle school track meet, and you're looking at all these kids, and they're lining up for their different events, and, oh, yeah, what's this one over here? That's the high jump. I'm sorry, that one is not built for the high jump. <laughs> you know, we can, we can see that. But it's an awesome picture that they get that opportunity, and I think it's great. They get that opportunity to try and experience that, Okay, 
maybe I'm not built for the high jump. Maybe I'm a shot putter or a discus thrower, but uh, maybe I'm not a sprinter. You know, but they, they see this, okay? And that's the same way. I think we go off on our own quite a bit, and, uh, and we start to go off on our own, and we see that we're not made to go on our own. We go on our own, we create our own laws and our own burdens, and we, we hold ourselves down, and it becomes a strain to us. And then Jesus comes along and says, hey, you're not built for that. I'm built for that, so you just come with me. You follow me. When we do that, we put ourselves, when we put those restrictions on ourselves, we put ourselves back into that slavery that Paul was writing about uh, in, in Galatians there, that, uh, you know, for freedom you have been set free. <laughs> Why submit again to this yoke of slavery? That's what we end up doing ourselves. Is our, we submit ourselves to this yoke of slavery. But we were created to glorify God and, and for that freedom that comes through that relationship. And that's that load that we were meant to carry. That's where the rest comes in. See, if it's a load that we're meant to carry, it's not a burdensome load. It actually brings life to us. It brings fulfillment to us. It brings us a sense of purpose and what we're doing. So what? So how do we apply all this? How, what does this mean? How do we, uh, as Pastor said yesterday, how do we put handlebars on this and take it out of here? I was thinking about this. Originally, I was thinking there was two ways to live the Christian life, but I'm going to retract my thoughts and say there's only one way to live a Christian life. Unfortunately, a lot of us as Christians, we try to live a life for the heart of Christ. If you are working for the heart of Christ, then you're not living a Christian life. You're living a life of slavery. If you're working for something that you already have, but if you work from the heart of Christ, that's the big difference. There's a for and a from. You work from the heart of Christ. You start to realize that that sin that you committed, that you say, I'm going to do better for tomorrow, it's already been paid for. You've already been forgiven of it. Guilt is a poor motivator. Guilt results in, you know, it might have some results, but those results are short-lived. When we live that life and it's that guilt that motivates us, we may conquer one thing, but there's another thing right around the corner that's going to pull us down. Guilt is a poor motivator. Love Gratitude are awesome motivators because that's what it gives us, that's what sustains us. We live for the heart of Christ. Or I'm sorry, we live from the heart of Christ. We live from the love that he's already displayed to us. When we live for it, like I said, that's where the slavery comes in. That's where we're, we're always trying to attain it. We're trying to get it back. We're trying to, we know we've messed up, but he knows we've messed up. And his love is still there. So we live from that love. We live for it, we get busy, we get defeated, we're not experiencing the freedom that God desires for us. When we live from it, we experience that freedom. We experience fulfillment. Our lives then glorify God when we can live from that heart. Like I said, when we started out, you know, this is that coffee cup verse all about salvation you know we say this we give this verse to people come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden absolutely and if there's somebody online here today or if there's somebody in here that does not know christ these words are 
very true. If you're feeling like you're spinning your wheels, like life is meaningless, Christ says, come to me and I will give you rest. This is absolutely true. And he went to an extraordinary ends to display that love. He came, incarnated. He was here. He was born. He lived a life that was uh, sinless, but the life of a servant. And he died. And he rose again, and he's coming back. And this display of love has been done for us, for you. But if you are a Christian, you've already accepted that truth. All those truths still remain. It didn't stop at the time you became saved. They continue on. Yes, we have an obligation to deal with sin, but our obligation to deal with sin and in no way affects Christ's love for us. So join with me in prayer. Uh, Chuck, if you could please get the kids. Father, we we thank you that your words... uh, that your words are your words, and that, uh, that that message of salvation, that message of, of, uh, of just your extraordinary love that is displayed through Christ, that your heart to reach out to us and have that communi- commune with us, that relationship with us, Lord, that is displayed so evidently and through your word. God, I pray that we can more fully grasp that uh, for those that have been saved, I pray that we can grasp it fully, that we can let that truth wash over us every day because, Lord, it is our nature to fall back into into doing the wrong things and to trying to go on our own power, Lord. But I pray that this truth would be a a constant in our lives, that we would catch ourselves doing that and that we would uh, refocus on you, that we would take up your yoke and that that you would be beside us and bearing that burden. Lord, for the those that have not put their trust in Christ, Lord, I pray that you are stirring in their hearts right now that they would see that the rest they're looking for only comes through that relationship with Christ. Lord, I pray that uh, as we bring the kids in here today, that, uh, that they would be built up and they would be encouraged. Uh, but Lord, I pray that you would continue to do a mighty work in this church, in our people, in us. Lord, uh, uh, I just thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word, and I thank you that we can share it together, that we can, that we can learn together, that we can do life together. And God, I pray that uh, you're glorified through everything. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.